what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. U.S. health advisors want you to know your health coverage does not have to be complicated. If you aren't happy with your insurance plan, there are unlimited and comprehensive medical plan options available to you right now. U.S. health advisors offer solutions which can't be found anywhere else. They can even offer you the ability to purchase more coverage if and when you need it. U.S. Health Advisors offers fair rates and no surprises. Sounds nice, doesn't it? If you'd like to know more, contact U.S. Health Advisors at 828-554-3032 or by email at daniel.bryant at ushadvisors.com. We'd like to remind all of our listeners that you could be an advertiser here at the Mesh. TV. Uh, it's a great opportunity for you to reach a target audience. It's very low cost. And for more information, go to themesh.tv slash advertise or send an email to info at themesh.tv. We appreciate your interest in sponsoring one of our shows. Hello and welcome to The Forecast. I'm your host, Alan Burton. I'm the Director of Instruction at the Alan Burton Golf Academy at the beautiful Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. Uh, Today's episode is going to be on how to become a better ball striker, how to hit the ball more solid and control your golf ball. Uh, I like to take a a phrase, kind of my philosophy of the game of golf, if you will, as a golf instructor taken from a golf instructor named John Jacobs. Uh, And Mr. Jacobs used to say that uh, golf is what the ball does. So I want to help you a little bit with your ball striking today. And today's episode will be available on all of your local podcast networks. And uh, we hope you find us at themesh.tv. And I'm glad you joined us today. And again, maybe 2020 will be your best ball striking year ever. We certainly hope so, and I want to share some of the ideas that, uh, that I share on the Lesson T on a daily basis to help golfers with their ball striking. So let's get right to it. Uh, one of the things that I think is important to understand about golf is that uh, we're, we're not trying to make a particular swing style or look. Um, I think there's a lot of different looking swings. Uh, even at the highest level of the game, you'll notice that there's Differences in professional golfer swings. Jim Furyk has a very unique-looking swing. Well, he's made over $70 million with that golf swing, so there must be something that works well within his swing. And I think it brings me to the point of most golf instruction for many, many years has been about swing style or um, swinging in a particular look. Um, so I would say that that is not how I teach. Um, I feel like the swing does not necessarily need to look a certain way, but we need to understand what happens uh, in a golfer's swing so that they can create a proper club-to-ball impact. So I'm, I'm more of an impact-based teaching uh, approach uh, to the game. We certainly want to help people hit the golf ball with their golf club more solidly and control the ball in the air. So that is, in my opinion, the best way to help a golfer do that is to, to look at the impact uh, between the club and the ball. And to achieve proper impact, I think there's some, some information you need to have to do that, to do that well. Uh, a couple of concepts that I would share with golfers. If you were never to have taken a golf lesson uh, from me or anyone else for that matter, you probably would 
benefit greatly by a couple of these concepts that I'm going to share with you today and hopes that you'll practice better and maybe encourage you to come out and get a golf lesson with myself or someone who teaches the impact-based approach and understands the golf swing from that perspective. So again, we'll talk about impact a lot. And what is impact? Uh, Impact is a, a moment in the swing. Some people refer to it as the moment of truth. And what impact is, is the moment the club makes its first touch onto the golf ball. Um, If you're hitting a a golf shot with any club head speed, that moment is probably about four ten thousandths of a second if we timed it. Uh, The ball touches the club, the ball deforms against the face of the club, and then the ball leaves the club, hopefully in flight towards its desired destination. And the club head has traveled approximately one inch in distance during that impact interval. So we're talking about a moment in the swing uh, that's a very microscopic moment in time, four ten thousandths of a second. Um, there are a few things that need to happen at that very moment uh, with the golf club. And, and one concept I'm constantly talking about with golfers is the concept of a low point. Um, a low point in the swing. What we're talking about when we say low point is the lowest point the golf club, and we're talking about the lowest point on the club, which would be the sole of the club as it swings down through impact, the lowest point of that swing. Uh, Think, if you will, um, an amusement park ride such as a merry-go-round, um, and that, that doesn't have a low point necessarily. The, the merry-go-round goes horizontal to the ground in a circle. But if you were on a Ferris wheel, the Ferris wheel is a, more of a vertical circle, and it does have a low point. That low point would be where that chair stops and the, the people riding get on and off. The chair is in the low point of that arc. And so a golf club has a low point, much like a Ferris wheel. Um, so we want to understand what low point means as you're you know, working on your golf swing. I think it's important to know where the low point needs to be to strike a, a quality golf shot. In general, I would say that when we're talking about an iron shot, when the ball is sitting on the ground, uh, we, we need a low point that's in front of the golf ball. Uh, oftentimes, I have golfers that are making poor strikes with the golf ball and they have a low point that's either near the golf ball and even worse, further behind the golf ball. I see that every day on the lesson tee, and I'm sure the golf instructors out there that uh, teach a lot will, will also say that's the case with most students. Um, the better golfer, certainly we're talking about the low handicapper or even the skilled amateur and even into the professional ranks, their low point is anywhere from three to five inches in front of their golf ball when they're hitting, say, a seven iron off of a typical fairway lie. Um, That's very important to understand. What the golf club is actually doing in the moment of impact is descending, meaning traveling slightly downward onto the back of the ball. And after the impact interval, as we discussed, the club head is going to be moving continually downward until it reaches its lowest point, some three to five inches in front of the golf ball. The the ball is well into flight at the moment the club has reached its lowest point. So that's a very important thing to understand. So a lot of golfers 
you know, are struggling with their game simply because they have no low point control. The low point is either, you know, further behind the golf ball or another concept would be the low point is not low enough to strike the golf ball solid. A lot of golf shots are topped, uh, hit thin, where the leading edge of the club hits near the equator or above uh, the equator uh, on the golf ball. And so that's going to create some challenges with uh, trajectory, spin, and distance control. And so you want to understand that low point concept. Low point needs to be low enough, and the lowest point in the swing needs to be forward of the golf ball. Very important to understand low point. Um, I, I feel like if I wrote a golf instructional book, that may be chapter one. Uh, discussing a low point. Uh, every golf shot you play uh, does not necessarily need the exact same low point. Uh, as a matter of fact, the low point moves around uh, appropriately to strike golf shots uh, properly. In each, for instance, driver setup, you might have a player who has a low point at the golf ball, slightly in front of the golf ball, or even behind the golf ball. You have the option with the driver, because it's it's put up onto a tee. The golf ball sits up, and that gives you the option. Hopefully you understand that with a driver, you would not want the lowest point to touch the ground. Proper swing of a driver means the driver's going to miss the ground, uh, but have a low point appropriate for that particular golfer's uh, situation. Uh, I typically see golfers who struggle with distance uh, with the driver, um, their low point is is part of the issue because when they make a low point too far behind the ball, they're going to catch the golf ball on the bottom of the club a lot of the time and not make solid strikes. Um, they may be hitting too down on the golf ball, therefore their low point is in front of the golf ball, and that causes some, some issues with spin and lower launch and shortened carry. So we have to look at those things when we're helping a golfer that needs maximum distance. And in most cases, I would be trying to help that golfer put their low point just slightly behind the ball so that they have an upward attack angle and get higher launch with less spin. And that would help a golfer create you know, a lot more distance. So we're looking at those things a lot on the lesson tee when golfers need to maximize distance um, as one of their issues. So the low point uh, is a really important concept to understand. Another thing that I would want golfers to understand before they come to a lesson with me is what is the difference between instruction given with an external focus versus an internal focus? Uh, a lot of the times when I talk with golfers that have taken lessons with other instructors and I ask them what they've been working on, they tell me, or at least in their words, they give me something related to their their body. They say that I've been working on getting my right arm to not fold up as much in the backswing. I said, okay, so that's a that's what we call an internal thought. You're thinking about something that your body movement uh, is doing. You're trying to make a better body movement as you're working on your golf swing, and that's an important concept to understand. Internal thinking is, hey, I'm trying to keep my head still. I'm trying to keep my right arm from folding up too much. I'm trying to keep my left arm straight. These are common things that golfers are thinking. When they're thinking internal thoughts, they may be missing a very important element in their golf shot, which is what I would refer to as an external thought. And what is an external thought? 
Well, that's what is the club doing. You, you must remind yourself that the club is actually causing the golf ball to fly uh, or move. And so we want to understand the external focus and trying to make the club achieve uh, its mission in order to hit a good golf shot. And, of course, the body is going to need to move to help the club do that. But there's a relationship there. And it's very important for the golfer to understand their external focus as well as an internal focus and how those two things coincide and partner uh, to get the golf swing to hit a good golf shot. Uh, so we, we understand that concept as the internal versus the external way of thinking. There's been a lot of research done on golfers thinking external versus internal thoughts and which way will the golfer be more successful if they primarily focused on external thoughts. I think that can simply uh, really improve their ball striking without any concern as to how the how the body's moving to accomplish that club movement. But the more experienced golfer uh, generally has the ability to uh, develop their swing with both of those concepts. At different times, they may be working on external things, helping the club to improve its movement, and then also with a blended internal focus on how the, the body would move to accomplish the proper club movements, I think is where the better golfers typically are. Uh, so that's a very important concept. Um, another simple concept that I share often is the fact that golf is a little bit like Goldilocks. Um, we make adjustments uh, very much like Goldilocks. We, we're typically too much in one direction with something we're doing. We're struggling with our ball striking uh, or we're not enough. Uh, and I think what's interesting about the Goldilocks philosophy is Goldilocks never gave up until she found what was just right. And that's what we're doing as a golfer. We're making adjustments from one extreme to the other uh, with an effort to get somewhere in the middle a lot of the time where, where just right is, where that range of acceptability uh, for the golf club to move into the golf ball properly. You know, we need to understand where that is. And it's, um, it's measured with some technology. I think Everybody's probably at this point heard of a technology referred to as TrackMan or FlightScope, these launch monitors, if you will, that measure what the golf club and ball do. Uh, they measure uh, very precisely movements in relation to a calibrated target line. And so if we calibrate the machine towards a target, it's almost like a straight line that the laser you know, calibrates in the machine so that any movement to the left of that line would be measured, um, any movement to the right of that line would be measured in a tenth of a degree, typically. So if you are to the right, you would see a positive movement. If you're to the left, you would see a negative movement. If you're down, you see a negative. If you're up, you see a positive. And so these movements of the club can be measured and that gives a player feedback as to which direction they need to be trying to move the golf club to make improvements. Um, again, it's just like Goldilocks. I, I tell my young junior golfers often that Goldilocks was an LPGA Hall of Fame golfer. And um, the reason is you know, she understood the concept of too much, not enough. But the real reason she became good was she never gave up until she found what was just right. So that's, that's my story about Goldilocks. I think it's interesting. So we'll move on to some additional concepts about impact. Uh, after discussing low point, I think we need to understand that the golf ball should make some contact consistently near the center percussion of the club face. 
And that's an interesting topic because with the driver, um, you know, driver heads and technology in the driver can cause that um, center of percussion, as we refer to it as the sweet spot, um, oftentimes. You know, that can be slightly varied from one club head to another based on the way the club head is designed. But, you know, in, in general, we think, think of the center of the club face as being uh, the sweet spot. And what happens is when the golf ball is struck there, um, that's where the club face uh, static loft was measured is in the center of the face. But on a driver, you have a uh, contour or a curvature to the face, both in the vertical and in the horizontal uh, dimension. So that causes the loft to increase as you move up into the face, and that causes the loft to slightly decrease as you move down in the face. So it's important to know where the ball actually strikes the face can drastically change how the ball launches and and how it spins Uh, due to some physical phenomenon called gear effect, which you'll hear about on my lesson T. It's very important, especially on the driver and on the fairway woods and hybrids to understand that. It happens on an iron shot, but it's less pronounced and certainly not as significant uh, of an influence, but it is a tremendous influence on what the ball does when a golf ball is struck uh, either on the toe of the club out near the end of the face or more towards the heel of the club, and that's closer to the shaft of the golf club. Coming into the, to the impact zone, you want to make sure that you're making proper impact uh, in terms of the centeredness of the face. And the best way to do that with a driver is to get a can of Dr. Scholl's foot powder. You can buy this at most of your local drugstores, 5 or $6. And then you spray a light coating of that powder on the face of the club when you're on the driving range and you're hitting golf balls, and you'll see a beautiful imprint of the golf ball on the face of the club, hopefully, uh, if you've struck the ball there. And you'll have some feedback as to where your strikes are taking place. And I see a tendency for golfers to have uh, – you know, a consistent miss, miss hit or miss strike on their driver. Oftentimes it's on the heel of the driver. Um, and, of course, that produces a very low ball speed compared to a centered strike. And then you're costing yourself probably not only accuracy but probably a lot of distance when you're not hitting the center of the face. And so that could be a very important impact condition to look at is where is the ball being struck on the club face relative to the center, you know, relative to the sweet spot. So now we move on to um, understanding the club face direction. And that's a very important element when it comes to being accurate with your golf shots. I think the club face direction is king of where the ball is going to start. And we want to understand that doesn't necessarily mean the ball is going to curve. It might fly extremely straight in a direction. Uh, And when the club face is pointing in the target direction, that's at least where the ball would tend to start. We we now have an understanding that the club face direction is the biggest influence on that starting direction, although it's not the only influence. It is certainly the most significant influence on where the ball initially launches off the club face at impact. And so if you're a relatively accurate golfer, that means you have very good control of the club face during that impact interval. I know a lot of golfers tend to struggle with their direction, and they typically are rotating the grip 
uh, very aggressively as they move into impact, and that causes the club face orientation to be unpredictable at best, and certainly the golf ball can go in a lot of different directions if you're twisting on the grip a lot through the strike. Um, that concept is often referred to as steering. As your club face changes a lot as you twist on the handle, and you know if you were driving a car and you twisted on the steering wheel a lot, then it'd be hard to keep the car in the road too. So those, those concepts are very similar. Um, I work a lot with golfers to help them control the club face um, a little bit more consistency there can can help you find more fairways and hit more greens. So we want to make sure the club face is under control to be accurate. So we've talked about a couple of concepts. We've talked about low point. We've talked about the centeredness of the strike. And we've talked about the orientation of the club face. And all these are impact concepts. What What's going on through that impact interval with the club? We really need to understand those things in order to to become a better ball striker. Uh, the additional concepts that I would want to share with you are a little bit more difficult to, uh, to visualize, but let's talk about the direction the entire club head is moving as it moves through impact. And there's two elements to that direction. The club head can be moving downward as it strikes the ball, or it could be moving upward, or it could be moving relatively level. So these concepts are what we refer to as the angle of attack. Again, measured by a launch monitor in a downward, we'd, we'd see a negative number, and we'd see zero if it was level, and we'd see a positive number if we were swinging up with the club head at the moment of impact. So how does that affect the golf shot? Uh, well, it's tremendous influence on the golf shot in terms of how high the ball is going to launch, um, it, it has an influence on how the ball is going to spin. And certainly, as we mentioned before, you typically want to have a slightly descending angle of attack when you're striking an iron off of a fairway lie. Um, but maybe with the driver, you're looking for an upward attack angle. Again, that depends on, on the shot and what you're trying to accomplish as a golfer. But we need to understand that there is a concept uh, there of, of of importance, and that is the angle of attack or the vertical uh, movement of the club, up or down or level. Uh, then we have a horizontal direction of the club movement. The club, say a right-handed golfer is hitting a golf shot and the club is moving from the outside of the target line before it strikes the ball, and as it moves into the ball, it moves to the inside of the target line. Uh, we call that an out-to-end swing or the club head swinging more to the left of the target line. And in that case, you may have some challenges with your accuracy. Um, you may not, but it's certainly a common thing to see a golfer slice the golf ball. Uh, a lot of times the path of the club is moving too much out to in or left if you're a right-handed golfer. Uh, and that could cause the golf ball to want to spin in a, uh, a tilted axis. And that tilted axis will cause the ball to curve offline if the ball is spinning in that fashion. So we want to understand, is that a path or a face error or a combination of both that's causing the golf ball to do that? Certainly it's important to look at all the elements of impact to understand why the ball is curving if it's undesirable curvature. Uh, sometimes it's desired to curve the ball, and you want to understand how, how to do that if you desire to curve it. Maybe you curved it into trouble and you need to curve it again to get back out of trouble. So 
Uh, I think that was a Lee Trevino statement. Hey, you need the same shot to get out of trouble that you got into trouble with. So it's very important to understand how those um, elements work together. What I would say again is the club face is mostly responsible for the launch direction of the shot. And then if you have a path that is not in the same direction as the club face, you're likely going to see some curvature unless you mishit the golf ball and that gear effect cancels out some of your curvature. And that's a very complex concept to, to put together if you're trying to diagnose your own golf shots. Uh, it can get dicey when you're dealing with the driver, gear effect, face, and path relationships. But uh, what we would want to understand, again, is the path can be moving to the left. It could be moving directly at the target. It could be moving from the inside of the target line to the outside, an in-to-out path. And there are typical shot patterns you see when a player has an excessive uh, path error. Uh, You typically see golfers that hit big wayward pushes. A right-handed golfer's push shot would be out to the right of the target with no curvature in flight. It just misses to the right. Uh, You typically see big hooks from golfers that have a path that's more in-to-out. Um, so those two shots, are they're not very similar in terms of where they end up. The push ends up way right, and the hook ends up way left. So the golfer thinks, well, those are opposite mistakes. But the reality is they're opposite in what the club face did, but they are the same mistake in what the path did. They, they both probably had an excessive in-to-out motion uh, in the path, But in the push shot, the club face was square to the path out to the right. And the hook shot, the club face rotated more to the left of the path. In other words, closed to the path. And that would cause the ball to launch in a different direction and have a lot of hook uh, or leftward curvature in flight. And so those are the shots that we we typically see when a golfer has an in-to-out path. Now, you might hit an appropriate draw. You might start it slightly right of the target and curve it to the left right back to the target with a path that's in to out. But I typically see golfers struggle when their path gets excessively in to out. As, as we understood the Goldilocks concept, you're too much into that direction with your path, and you need to make an adjustment. Uh, we might find that making those adjustments is, is as simple as changing the way a golfer has aligned their body. Uh, as they address the ball. Oftentimes, the golfer swinging too much in one direction, in to out, their stance line is too far to the right or too closed, as we might say. We have to make adjustments to get the path neutralized <clears throat> more towards the target or certainly less in to out to give the, the golfer a little bit more control of their golf ball. So those are some things that you might think about. The path of the club head establishes the potential to hit curve shots or offline shots. And the relationship that's important to understand there is the fact that the face makes a relationship to the path, either square to it, close to it, or open to it. And you have to understand those relationships create, primarily create the curvature or the, or the accuracy of the golf shot, uh, depending on what you had. So a face-to-path relationship Um, is is a very important impact concept to understand. Um, You know, we have a low point, we have a centeredness of strike, we have an attack angle, 
and we have a face and path relationship that we're dealing with. So a lot of golfers worrying about whether their left arm is straight, and they're not going to become better golfers. They need to understand their impact better uh, in order to understand why the golf ball behaved the way it did uh, when they hit shots. So those are some concepts that I think will help you as a ball striker. Um, you know, if you just looked at those simple elements of your of your game, you had a good instructor diagnose where you are in, in regard to those impact conditions, uh, you'd probably control your golf ball better and you'd enjoy the game more. Um, and you wouldn't worry so much about how your swing looks and whether it looks pretty on video. Um, you'd, try, you'd try to understand the relationship of how your swing moves to create a better impact, and, and that would make you a better golfer right away. And I see those changes on the lesson tee every day with my golfers too. Um, what we're dealing with uh, when we teach golf to humans is we're dealing with an individual person, uh, and we're dealing with their, their individual anatomy. A lot of times I'm giving instruction that is more prescription medication, so to speak, to that individual in front of me at that moment. I think that's important to understand. There's golf instruction out there in the magazines, on the Internet, and, and different uh, mediums that you can pick up golf tips and golf information. I think a lot of times it, is maybe, it's, maybe it's prescription medication that you're, you're looking at, and it doesn't apply to what your game needs. It's very important to understand whether you're digesting information that is necessary for your game improvements or even applicable to, to your game. Um, and so you might overdose if you take the wrong, wrong medication, so to speak. And, and I think that some golf instruction is more, more like a vitamin. Uh, you could take it. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, if you take too much of it, it's, it's just going to be like a vitamin. You're gonna, your body's going to use what it needs and get rid of the rest. And so golf instruction can be vitamin or it can be prescription medication. And you want to be careful as to which which one you take, and that's why it's important to maybe work with a, an individual coach that can give you the right, the right information and medicine to help your game. You know, so that brings me to another concept about you know, individuality. And a lot of times scoffers will come to my lesson tee, and their, their goal for the lesson or their, their hope is that they're going to become a more consistent golfer. And I've been teaching a long time. I've been a golfer myself for 46 years. I've been teaching for over 20 years. And one thing I understand about the human skill is it's an amazing uh, talent we have that allows us to swing a golf club at over 90 miles an hour at times and, you know, make contact with a golf ball and send it through the air at speeds, you know, well over 150 miles an hour with a driver sometimes. And and make it, you know, land in a 25- or 30-yard-wide fairway. I mean, I hit a driver in Ireland that landed in a 7-yard-wide fairway. It went over 300 yards. I was very proud of myself for doing that. So it's an amazing skill we have as humans. However, I think it's important to understand what we are capable of and not set our expectations too high. Uh, one of the expectations I think golfers have that's too high is that concept of consistency. And so I might bring this analogy to the conversation and say, well, let me see how consistently you can sign your name uh, 10 times in a row here on this, on this uh, writing tablet with this pen that I have. Let me see your signature 10 times in a row and make them all look exactly the same. And they kind of look at me funny, and I don't think that's a human skill that we have. I think we can make our signatures look similar 
but I don't think we can make them look exactly the same if, even if we're trying. And so I would propose that why do you think you can take this golf club that weighs almost a pound, swing it at a speed of 80 miles an hour with almost every muscle and joint in your body moving to accomplish that and expect to do it exactly the same if you can't write your name with a ballpoint pen exactly the same. So that, that gives players a better awareness of, of what the human skill really is capable of and should we even expect to be extremely consistent with our swing. And as a golf coach, what I would propose we need to do to be good at golf is not necessarily have a repeating swing that's exact, but to have a swing that has a very controlled tolerance, but more importantly that we can take our swing and adapt it to an individual situation on the golf course because that's what we're dealing with when we play golf. Um, we're on a, a, a particular lie that may or may not be level. Generally, it's not level. Unlike the lie that you practice on the driving range that is level, and we have a ball that's sitting in a condition, maybe short grass, maybe long grass, maybe dry grass, maybe wet grass. So a lot of variability that we're dealing with on the golf course and um, with the wind, with the elevation, with the distances of the shot changing from shot to shot, I think what we really want to understand is we want to be able to adapt to an individual situation on the golf course and make the appropriate swing with the appropriate club at that moment uh, in the round. And, and understanding your consistency is more about your impact. Are you striking the ball near the center of the face? Is your attack angle consistent and appropriate for the lie? Do you have the club face oriented in the proper direction? Do you have the path matching up with the face to create the shot you were trying to create? Um, and those impact elements really are what we're trying to be fully aware of and, and consistent with uh, to establish control of our golf ball. Um, so concepts about playing the game versus practicing that I deal with a lot I would share with you is, is simply this. You can practice a lot of different ways. I find most golfers practice in a traditional approach I refer to as block practice. The traditional block practice approach, uh, although it's somewhat important, certainly in your earlier developmental you know, years in, as a golfer, you go to the driving range with a bag of golf balls or a bucket of balls, you, you put those golf balls into a, a practice stall on the driving range, and you begin hitting golf shots with a particular club. Oftentimes, that practice session, the block practice, if you will, ends up being 37 irons in a row or maybe 30 drivers in a row. I see a lot of that. Um, what I would suggest is you understand that that is not how you're going to play golf. You're not going to hit 37 irons in a row in a round of golf from a level lie, each golf ball sitting perfectly up on that well-manicured uh, grass, um, and, and you're just not going to have that presented to you as a challenge on the golf course. But that's how you're practicing. You're practicing something you're never going to do when you play. And maybe our industry's biggest dichotomy between playing and practicing. Um, the practice range does not invite playing or practicing like you play. 
it almost discourages the randomness of golf because it gives you the same lie and it encourages you to hit ball after ball with the same club. So it's important to understand the the value of block practice and how much of it you should do and what you should be doing when you're doing your block practice. Uh, I find the golfers don't understand the concept of block practice, and and that's all they know to do, so that's what they do. They think they're going to become better golfers on the course by going to the range and hitting balls. Uh, And it's rarely the case that you're going to really improve as a golfer by the degree you would like to if, if that's all you do. So most golfers need to understand how to better practice. The next concept of practice I would refer to as random practice. Now, the random practice is an interesting challenge because it requires discipline and understanding uh, to practice this way. And once you learn how to do it, I think you'll see more, more result from this type of practice when you actually play and play on the course and, and maybe even play in uh, tournament golf. But we'll talk about random practice simply as a way to replicate what's going to be required uh, from you as a golfer when you play. A simple random practice approach when you're on the driving range would be to hit a single drive, picking targets on the range that would define a fairway, and you're going to go through an entire pre-shot routine just like you do on the first tee when you're teeing off on the course. You're going to try and define the shot in your mind, what's your intention. I'm going to hit a little fade down the left side there, right off that big oak tree, and have it fall in between those two yellow flags. And so you would hit that tee shot. After the shot was played, you would do any post-shot analytics you want to do and say, well, I hit that a little bit off the toe. Uh, You know, that caused the ball to not fade as much as normal uh, and go a little shorter than normal, so I'm going to try and improve my impact next time in this way. So then you would actually put another ball in position and try to get a different lie. Don't just perch the ball up on a perfect lie. Maybe let it sit down in a slight divot and hit the next club that you would hit on your favorite first hole. Say, hey, I hit that drive there. That would leave me an 8-iron into that green. Let's hit an 8-iron. So you're going to pull an 8-iron. You're going to try and hit that shot at a specific target appropriate for your 8-iron. And you would go through an imaginary round on your favorite golf course in that fashion, hitting each tee shot, each approach shot in succession, much like playing. You're playing an imaginary round on your favorite golf course, and you're right there on the driving range creating as much variability in your practice as you can. Now, that's a basic form of variable practice or random practice, as some people might refer to it. It's way more beneficial uh, than just hitting 20 or 37 irons in a row. Uh, And you could take that a step further, and I think this is an important element of practice to add. And I would refer to this as competitive practice. So you're trying to improve a particular shot. You might want to, in some way, measure the quality of that shot. Uh, A simple way to measure each shot is whether or not you hit it solid, the control of accuracy, or the control of distance, and you can give yourself a score for each shot based on those elements of of execution. I didn't hit it solid, so it can't be a birdie. It can only be a par. 
The shot ended up near the target, but I did not hit it solid. The concept would be if I hit it solid, hit it in the proper direction and the proper distance, you would give that shot an eagle. Maybe if you got almost everything correct, you hit it solid, hit it in the proper direction, but it was the wrong club to go the proper distance. So now you may actually give yourself a birdie or a score that's appropriate for the quality of your shot execution. The idea is that you're giving yourself a way of measuring the quality of your golf shots. Uh, I designed a kind of a framework, if you will, for players to practice more in a competitive way, and I call this game-like training. Very common in our industry right now to talk about this concept of practice because we have competitive golfers that we work with, and they want to understand why their tournament scores are not representing the golfer they feel like they are and a lot of times they're just not practicing in a competitive way so a game like training could start out with a very simple task of making three three foot putts in a row well much like the game of limbo where everybody gets under the bar on the first run through is it's very easy Three three-foot putts in a row should not be a significant challenge for most golfers, but it very well may be, and so you have to figure out how high to set the bar so that it's easy for you to get through. Maybe you need to do a two-foot distance to start out. The concept is very simple. Once you get to a particular skill level, certain shots are going to become easier, and you're going to reach a point where you find it's difficult. And that's the idea of this game-like training. You're going to put together a series of short game and full swing drills that give you a way of measuring where you are, how low does the bar need to be before it becomes difficult for you to get under it, so to speak. If if you're a limbo, you're trying to get the bar to go lower, and that makes it more difficult. Um, Another way of thinking, of course, is the opposite. You're raising the bar. But the idea is very simple. You're going to continue to elevate the challenge and journal as you're practicing to see where you are in each of these skills. I think some basic skills to analyze would be your short putting, your ability to two-putt from longer distances, your ability to chip the ball close enough to the hole to one-putt, and then from there you could take it further and say your ability to pitch the ball onto a green consistently without mishitting it, your ability to hit a a bunker shot to get it at least out of the bunker and onto the green if it's a greenside bunker shot. Uh, And then if you're a more skilled golfer, obviously you're looking at your proximity to the hole from a bunker as well as getting it out consistently. So short game analytics could be very simple. Learn the skill to hit a short putt and make it. Learn the ability to two putt from a longer distance Learn the ability to chip the ball close enough to the hole to one putt and then work on bunker shots and pitch shots to where you're consistently out of the bunker onto the green, pitching the ball consistently onto the green inside a 10-foot circle maybe would be acceptable. And when you can do that, you have to continue to measure the ability you have in each of those shot-making categories. The idea, again, is to continue making the, the challenge appropriately more difficult for your skill level and journal your entries as you do this over a long period of time you're going to see that your improvements are measurable 
And that builds confidence, which is a huge part of taking these skills onto the golf course under tournament conditions and actually playing well and trusting that you can do this. Um, Several examples would be I'm going to two-putt from 20 feet two times in a row. Okay, well, how would we do that and make that challenge more difficult? A couple of concepts to make things more difficult. Well, we could lengthen the distance. We could go from 20 feet and stretch it out to 25 feet. That's going to make it more difficult. We could increase the number of times in a row that we're asking ourselves to do something. Let's say we're going to go two times in a row. Now we're going to try and do four times in a row. That's another way of making it more difficult. On putting, we can increase the challenge by making the putt have more break. We can get onto a bigger slope and maybe have a downhill right-to-left putt that's 25 feet. Maybe we have an uphill left-to-right putt that's 25 feet. So we've added slope and we've added break uh, to make it more difficult. That's another concept of increasing the difficulty. And a a final concept I would share with you, and I think this one's an interesting one. Most people are not aware of this one, and that's called spacing. And spacing is the amount of time that spans between each shot execution. When you're playing golf, you're going to have spacing and time between each swing. And when you're practicing, oftentimes you have very little time in between each of your swings. Say, for instance, if you're hitting putts, you might have three golf balls in a pile, and you're going to hit a putt. You're going to watch what it does, and as soon as that ball stops, you've got another ball, and you're ready to go, and you're hitting another putt. Well, it's very rare that you're playing on the golf course and have that little amount of time in between each of your strokes. And so adding spacing can be a a tremendous element um, to, to add to your practice so that you actually have the same spacing and time between shots um, that's a very important skill to develop as a player. Um, it's much easier to remember the feeling of a swing if very little time spans between each swing execution. And that's unlike how we're going to be playing. So we want to train that skill to put spacing between our swings and still be able to execute the shot correctly. It's very important to do that in your practice. So this is a game-like training approach. I can certainly help engineer one for you and your skill level and get you started in this if you are interested. And that's how I would recommend our our golfers practice this winter. I hope that you have a great winter of practice. I hope that your game improves and you become a better ball striker simply by understanding the concepts of impact better, uh, understanding the concepts of internal versus external. And then let's work on your game this winter in a game-like training approach and watch your confidence grow. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Alan Burton. I hope you get in touch with me. I'll give you a couple of ways to do that. My email address is alan, A-L-L-E-N, at alanburtongolf.com. I look forward to hearing from all of you with your golf questions. And uh, have a great day out there and become a better ball striker for the next year. And we'll look forward to next podcast where I'll have a couple of great guests, uh, the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to grow your golf IQ make you laugh, enjoy your game. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to The Mesh. 
an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.